0: Our objective at the Association of Sporting Directors is to support, develop and connect our members who are spread out across the globe and all bring unique skills and experiences to the role of sporting director. In addition to our in-person events and our online networking sessions, we are really excited to bring you a brand new podcast series covering key topics generated by the membership and central to the future development of the Sporting Director role, and is brought to you by Paul Musa, host of the What the Footy podcast series. Some fascinating insights from practitioners working at the heart of the professional game. Looking forward to these. Over to you, Paul.
1: Bruno, first of all, thank you for joining me on the ASD podcast. Uh, I think from our perspective here at the ASD, It's so great to have people like yourselves, our members, sporting directors, really here to provide insight and value to people. So thank you for being a part of this. Well, my
0: pleasure, Paul. It's, uh, of course, a pleasure to be part of this amazing association, mainly representing, you know, uh, as a Brazilian, representing the uh, the Brazilian Sporting Directors Association, you know, being part of the ASD Technical Committee. You know, when I got an invitation, I was very very happy about it and i'm sure you know there is a lot of lot of good things we can you know we can do together and help you know and learn from each other
1: no for sure spot on one thing we really want to understand from from our members like yourselves is how you make strategic decisions how you implement and and devise strategies how you how you effectively bring together different ideas and are effective within your roles. And our theme for the year that we're going to really delve into is around culture. So what I want to understand from you for my first question is, what does the word culture mean to you within a football environment?
0: Culture is everything, right? And that's something, just to tell a little bit more, of course, I've been, you know, I I had the pleasure to work for the Brazil national team for 10 years, you know, as in in the national team, I had uh, different roles, you know, I was a manager of a football operations, soccer operations for the youth national team, you know, managing everything, you know, f- football uh, in Brazil, it's a religion, like you guys in England, we were born with the with a ball on our feet, you know, and uh, you know after that, I was also the chief scout for all the Brazil youth national teams, and i also a scout for the full national team, so be able to uh, visited all the clubs, understanding, well, you know, visiting clubs from all over the world where Brazilian players used to play, you know, to monitor those guys was was also very important to build also my character, you know, and understanding, you know, um, how other clubs work and how other, you know, how other clubs and sporting directors and people cre- created their culture, you know, also after working for Fluminense, you know, Fluminense, one of the top Top academies in the world, one of the top clubs in Brazil and in the world. I was academy director for four years. Also, um, you know, assistant sporting director for Branco, you no know, Branco, who was you no know, Brazilian World Cup, World Cup stars in 1994 when Brazil won the, the World Cup in the US. Branco was a sporting director for the Brazil national team. So I had the I had the chance to have Bronco as a mentor, you know, and, and not many people knows also, Paul, When I when I came to the national team for the first time, my first real job in the national team was to help Bronco on the master team. So the master team was all the players that had already retired. So they, the Brazil national teams, the former players, they used to play showcases all over the world. I was only 21 years old, you know, and, uh, and imagine myself, Receiving a list of players with Branco, Dunga, Bebeto, Romario, Ricardo Rocha, you know, Leonardo, all those players and contact those players were my idols and be, be responsible to set up everything for those guys to play, you know, those showcase games. So I was able to grow also in a very strong culture. And have a lot of mentors and, and high-level players who help me out a lot through this process.
1: No, that's, that's super useful, Bruno. And just building on that as well, I think one thing that myself, and I'm, I'm guessing the listeners would, would love to understand is when you think about Brazil from a football perspective, um, obviously you joined there in 2001, obviously just off the back of reaching the World Cup final and obviously then going on to win it in 2002. And Brazil, for, for as long as I can remember, has had, obviously a history of producing top, top talent. Obviously, you worked within the youth team set up there, scouting and bringing through players to the national team like Neymar Jr., Felipe Coutinho, Gabriel Jesus, Marcelo, and Just to name a few, um, just sort of talk to me about what the culture is like within Brazil in terms of Building those sporting strategies, building those pathways to enable these players to come through, flourish, and then have have great and successful careers. Because it seems to be a thing that continues year after year, decade after decade.
0: Paul, well, what I say is every player has a different pathway, you know. And a lot of people asking about this. Imagine myself, of course, being the chief scout for the you know for the national team, identify those players as such in a younger age, and what I say is. All those top players, and a good thing is the last World Cup, as an example, of the Brazil playing in Qatar. I believe uh, 19 or 20 players out of 23 roster, they all went through the youth national three, uh, the youth youth national team system. You know, when I when I stepped in the national team, 2001 to 2002. I was also very fortunate to to get an amazing cycle. Brazil won the World Cup 2002. I was was inside the federation. And later on, working for the national team, we won the U-17 World Cup 2003. We beat Spain in the final 1-0. The final was was against Spain in Emirates. I don't know if you're gonna remember if you Google and go online. um, Dani Alves had a corner kick and Fernandinho scored the header 1-0. And we also beat Spain 1-0 in the U-17 final in Finland. So that was the first time ever that a national team wins both both U-20 and U-17 at the same time. And, and England, you know, did the same in 2017, right? But Brazil was the first country to do so. And being able to see all those players coming in the pipeline is, there is different pathways. Players such as Neymar, Coutinho, Vinicius Jr., Rodrigo, you know, just a few names, those guys that, 12, 13 years old, both, they're already different. You could see their talent, you could see they're above the level, right? And other players, and I'm gonna give an example Who a player who has been very successful in England right now. Um, 2012, and you can, whenever you interview him, you can ask him this, he's gonna remember me. 2012, I went, to, uh, I went to a trip North Brazil uh, to look for players well, not like the top clubs in Brazil, like on the middle level clubs and everything. So I went to Recife, right? When I went to Recife, I went to Sport Recife to watch a EU 16 game. So I asked all, all the clubs to put it together, a 96 more players against 96 more players, so we could see players for a, for an under-17 national team back then. And I said, look, we got to find a striker, right? Brazil needs to find a bigger number nine, someone with good quality. South plays the number nine he only had three months in the club joelinton so we get joelinton we call joelinton for a tournament in Salva he's gonna remember it. so if you have a chance ask Joelton about so we call joelinton to uh Copa 2 de Julho. it's a it's a, it's a, it's a competition by clubs we play for the national team and after that even in, in sport joelinton was pretty new in the club he only had like four or five months in the club we call joelinton after that You know, he played for the first team for for Sporting Recife, was sold to to Germany, and, you know, the the rest of history, right? And the the funny part is, Joëlito is today more of a midfielder playing Newcastle. He got a call for the full national team in Brazil also. So that's how, that shows you also how important it is to figure out, see the profile. He already has had the physicality, had the technical ability. We were looking for a number nine, but he... His strength and his technical ability show that he could play more than one position, and he's showing right now. So that's what I said. Every player has a different path. You know, even though Joelito didn't play for like a bigger club, Sport is a huge club, of course, but he's not like a Flamengo, a Fluminense, a São Paulo, Corinthians, Flamengo, you know, Inter, Grêmio, you know, that Joelito had a chance to to be who he is. Bruno Guimarães is another example who also played. For Aldax, you know, he didn't he didn't get approved. You know, he didn't get a, a couch to play for a bigger club in Brazil. He had to go to a smaller club in Brazil and also find his way up. So every player has a different pathway.
1: No, that's that's super useful, Bruno. And just following on from that, then shifting off to San Jose in 2017, where you're now head of scouting and head of recruitment. Just just sort of talk to me about what what the remit and the the, the culture is like from working in a federation like c cbf versus working working in the club environment
0: it's 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 completely different right and i had this experience when i was in brazil that's why it was was easier because i moved from the national team to fluminense and the daily work the amount of work you have the daily basis it's huge right on a national team you gotta choose the best you have specific camps and you gotta monitor the players before a game or before a competition right so in the national team, you, you do a lot of travel and visiting clubs, visiting players, understanding how they are. You know, when we're in a club, it's managing, like, in Fluminense, I had, like, 350 employers, uh, 350 players and 90-plus employers, right? So when I came to San Jose, was a was a business plan by the club to also invest, you know, on the youth side. And when I came to the club, it's funny because uh, – my main focus, of course, was to to first team, uh, of course. But I'm so I'm so passionate for what I do, so passionate for youth development that uh, when I came to the club, I spoke I spoke to a sporting director back then, and I thought, look, I'm gonna I need to understand, and that's very important, Paul, for 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 chief scouts, for sporting directors, for technical directors, every club, even though even if the club is in the same city and divided by two, three blocks, they have different cultures, they have different histories, right? So when I came here, I tried to understand what was the history. San Jose is a club that was founded in 1974, who is going to be 50 years so old next year, who is a lot for an American for American soccer club, you know, football club. Um, the first game in MLS history was played in San Jose, 1996. You know? So the club had two leagues, two um, two MLS Cups, 2001 and 2003. Landon Donovan was the biggest star when the club won back then. And we are in California, who is a very, very diverse state. A lot of immigration from Latin America, a lot of immigration from India, from Asia, I mean, from all over the world. So I drove a lot around, more than one year driving around, understanding the players' profile, understanding the culture, visiting clubs, you know, to be able to do a report and bring all those information inside the club so we could base it on our game model, base it on how we play, base it on what you want to build in the club, align with your methodology, which is very important. For me, there is no scouting without methodology. Both got to walk side by side. You know, you cannot recruit a player if you don't have a game model in place, and you cannot put a game model in place if you don't have the right profiles to to play. And Alex Covelo is our, is our, you know, he was director of methodology, and we kind of worked together on this, on this, on this situation. We start bringing players and identifying players based on, on the profile for the local players, and it was we have been pretty successful. It's been an amazing journey, you know, you know, for the last five six years. We became uh, last year the MLS club with more players call for the youth national team. We had a. 11, 12 players, Cal, for the youth national teams for USA last year. You know, we had a we had the second, second youngest player to sign a pro contact ever. There was uh, Emil Cho, a goalkeeper. We have Kate Cowell, who, who, who is one of the biggest, you know, raising stars in, in, in American soccer. Today in our first team roster, out of 30 players, we have 13 players who are homegrown players. So that also shows that a youth development work, it's a middle, you know, middle-term work, like takes you like four, five, six years. And besides that, we also focus a lot on, on scouting um younger players, you know, South America and in Europe, you know, mostly in South America. You know, one example is Marcos Lopez, a player we brought to the club with 18 years old, uh, from Sporting Cristal. After that, Marcos Lopes became a full-time starter for Peru, and he was social final in Holland. And so I was Able to, alongside my team, you know, we have a lot of good people working in the club, you know, and, and we don't do anything alone. It's a teamwork, of course, but to be able to, to participate, you know, and I joke with everyone because I came to the club on a 2 years contract. I didn't know how long I was going to be here. So two years became almost seven years already, and that's pretty nice to be able to start something and, and see how things are moving in the right direction with everyone's work.
1: No, that's, that's super useful because I was going to say linked to that as well, obviously an, an area w- which you're in, which is scouting and recruitment. Not not one single person makes a decision. It needs everyone collectively coming together. And and obviously one of the things I really noticed when I was looking at the club and the, the technical staff is that role of Alex that you mentioned is director of methodology, obviously. I don't think a similar role like this exists over here in the UK, maybe perhaps under a different title, but it's something that, that's quite common in the MLS. I know LA Galaxy have it, the Houston Dynamos have it. Just, just sort of talk to me about Alex's role, how that feeds into your role, because you mentioned obviously the game model, the identity, the culture and 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 kind of setting that in place. Who, who, who kind of sets that in place and how do you regularly monitor and audit and ensure that that, that lives and breathes throughout the club?
0: It's important, like that's what I tell everyone, the club, it's above, it's above myself, it's above everyone, right? So we're gonna pass and the club's gonna stay. So it's important when we have everything established. You know, when I came to the club, uh, Jesse Fioranelli was a sporting director who hired me, the general manager, and he started putting those things in place. Of course, we have a new sporting director who is Chris Leach, who is playing the league you know he's been also putting all those all those works together. As you said, we don't do anything alone. We have a head coach who is Luchi Gonzalez, who also he's a former um, FC Dallas academy director, former FC Dallas coach, and Luchi has a lot of lot of the youth uh, development in his veins. Also like Chris, like myself, and like Alex Covelo. So when we align all those people, you know, and ideas together, you know, and that makes helps you a lot to understand what kind of players you're going to be bring. And besides that, it's important to say, um, also the work we've been doing on the analytical side, you know, we have a very, a very robust and very good analytical analytical team in place. And Paul, why do I say this, Paul? Um, there is a big discussion about analytical and subjective work, right? And living in the Silicon Valley, living in the Bay Area, um, coming from where I came with my background of uh, poor like football and soccer on my events like subjectively i i am getting the best of myself right now because i'm i'm being able to learn from the other side and people gotta have their minds open we don't we don't do anything alone as i said both sides they need each other nothing's gonna change your eye nothing's gonna change your human relation with the players nothing's gonna change your human relation with agents with families there is Players are not machine, Paul. Well, players, they're human beings. They have feelings, you know, and we, when you analyze a player, you can get the data, you can get the numbers. who are very important, it helps a lot to maximize your time and filter. Helps you to also understand, as you said, going to going to the Alex situation. How are going to play? If you're going to play a 4-2-3, what kind of wingers you want? You want to invert the winger? You want to like fullbacks, they're more offensive. Fullbacks are more defensively. You want to play, you know, with center backs who are aggressive one v one So data helps you to identify all of those situations. But character, you know, understand if this guy has family issues. When you come from South America, from Africa, from Europe, you know, we don't know the language. How it's going to be the adaptation of those players when they come, right? Why do you see people? And that's the question that I made, it right? I'm very active, as we know, on, 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 on LinkedIn, bringing information about the league and also bring a discussion. Why Chelsea spend $200 million, $220, $200 million, as an example, on two players, no Moisés Caicedo, and Anna, as an example, those players were already highly rated in South America. They were. I mean, everyone that follows the game in South America, they know they're good players, right? Why you don't make those investments two years ago, three years ago, for 10% of what they spend. That's a question that I put. That doesn't mean they're wrong or they right. Maybe their business model is, look, we know someone's going to buy those players. Let's see how they're going to do. And after, we're going to buy those players, right? And someone else will be like, no, like Brighton, like, you know, other clubs, no, let's buy those players. Let's take $50 million and buy 10 players. If one or two players work out, that's fine. So there is no right and wrong, right? So it's based on our culture, based on your methodology, and based on, on how you work. But you gotta have a direction in place.
1: No, for sure. And I think even even following on from the point that you mentioned there, how much opportunity do you get from a standpoint of knowledge sharing and synergies with these other other sporting entities at all?
0: As I said, you know, uh, Chris who's our sporting director. He does he he does this management on the top on the top side with uh, with a president, and uh, there is a board in the club. And myself, you know, myself with, with, with Chris, we discussed a lot about, uh, you know, and also our analytical department. As I said, when you share the information with, with all the stakeholders, that's also helps your decision-making, helps you to helps you to potentialize the information you have it. And what I try to do, Paul, is use my network and use my relationship all over the world that I have built in the last 20, almost 25 years you know, be able to speak English, Portuguese, Spanish, that's helps you a lot to navigating in every single part of, of the world. So I try to be a source. That's what I say as a chief scout, you know, uh, I have been, and, and for me, that's very important, Paul. I have been a a, a technical director before. I have been an academy director and I, ha- I have been a, a chief scout and I still being a chief scout. And now those three, um, all those three roles, they are very aligned, right? You cannot be a sporting director if you don't know about youth development, right? And if you don't know about recruitment, if you don't know about players, you cannot be academy director if you don't know about recruitment, about like human relations, about everything. So I was very, very fortunate to being able to navigate in all different roles, to learn, you know, to have worked for a lot of good people also. You know, it's still young, we're still learning. But, uh, this relation with our ownership, it's very very open, very good. You know, our owner gives us all the support, all the resources to to work on our on our on our business model. As I said, there is no wrong and, 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 and right. Some clubs they like to, to spend the you know the millions of millions of dollars in older players, you know, more established players. Other clubs like to use this money to invest in the academy youth development. Other clubs like use this money for resource. So there is different, different uh, uh game a uh, business model, you know, and everyone you know has the freedom to navigate it you know in all those different models.
1: No, for sure. And I think even on that as well, like over your career, how have you seen with with players and, and just interacting with them from a communication standpoint? Because obviously we hear a lot of things and in terms of how players like to receive information, how they like to be communicated with now. How have you seen that from a cultural perspective shift and change over time from from Brazil to Fluminense to to San Jose?
0: It, it changed a lot. Like, we didn't have the internet. The internet didn't have, you know, um, the approach they have today. Like, if you go online right now, you're going to see the information on time. And I, I remember 2007, Paul, um, I was the you know the general manager for the Brazil olympic pre olympic team that they went to to the qualification in Paraguay. I was only 26 years old, responsible. Looking look at what a big responsibility, right? And back then we didn't have. Uh, I, I, I remember our staff was like 10 people, right? That's it, right? Coaching, assistant coach, goalkeeper coach. We didn't have uh, someone responsible for the media. We didn't have someone responsible for I was the one responsible to do everything. So I had to manage with, with uh, the Brazilian press. I had to manage with the reporters, with the TV, and everything. And, and the communication was very, very good. All right. Even with the players, uh, my captain was Lucas Leiva. You no know, Leiva, the place for Liverpool for more than 10 years. Yeah. And I was talking to Lucas about it. You no know, Lucas retired now for those, you know, had some issues, uh, hard issues. And he just retired, you know, this year. So I was talking to Lucas like three or four weeks ago. We have we, we kept a very good relation because he's a top-notch, top-notch person. And Lucas, remember back then, was like, uh, if the press want to talk to someone, I speak to you, I speak to Pato, I speak to those guys, and you guys will just come and talk to the press. So was very, very human, right? was very true, the relation, right? And today it's a little bit more. It's not as harm harm as it was in the past. It's not as warm, right? Before it was more warm, more more f- human to human, face to face, it was more of a true relation, right? Today there is so many people working be- besides those players. You know, um, there is assessors, players that you know, people that help out those guys, agents, plus parents, families who are very involved. So. There is a lot of people between you and those players. But the good thing is, forward that I noticed, you know, and that's the beauty, a player when he's younger, 13, 14, 15, when he's on his youth development, 99% of the time, okay, they will forget, they will not forget, I'm sorry, they will not forget people who made part of their history who helped them out through those process, right? Or they will at least remember those amazing moments where there were nobody, right? Where they're just uh, they're just playing for a dream, a dream to become a pro player. And uh, last week was amazing. And uh, when I started talking, I, things start coming to me. Sevilla, Sevilla play here. Mm. They play in San Francisco. La Liga, La Liga. There was a double header here: Betts and Real Sociedad, Sevilla and Atlético Madrid. So I went to Sevilla training, right? And in 2006, working for the national team, there was a defense midfielder playing for Villanova. Villanova was a second division club in Brazil. And they never, they never had a player call for the youth national team. And we saw this slim, tall, physical defense midfielder who was very good already playing for the first team. And we call him for the U training national team. His name is Fernando. So we call Fernando to the national team. Fernando was so I got I got emotion when I talk because those things are very those things are, are the beauty of, of, of this game. So Fernando got a call for the U20. We won the pre-Olympic qualification. He was sold to Porto, and the rest is history. He played for Manchester City, he played for Galatasaray, and I saw Fernando training Sevilla for Sevilla last week. When he saw me, he was walking. Victor Orta is the sporting director for Victor Orta is the sporting director for Sevilla. And Fernando came. He gave me a hug, and he said, "Victor Bruno, Bruno taught me a lot. Bruno was so Bruno was someone that helped me a lot." And we're that, that's almost twenty years ago, right? So they don't forget. You know, most of the guys they don't forget. Marcelo, when Marcelo came here to play for Real Madrid, it was the same thing. You know, um, many many other players. You said Coutinho when I had the chance to see Coutinho back in in England for for a game last year. You no, know, Thiago Silva went to Chelsea game this year. You know, I mean. Those guys they they have their, their foundation and and that's something I try to keep with them and I tell them every time don't leave your roots back there, you know,
1: always go back to your roots. No, I think I think that's really useful, Bruno. And I think just a question I have to, to, to really culminate some of the things that we discussed there is what does success look like to you at San Jose? What does it look like to John Fisher, the owner? What does it look like to Chris? What does it look like to Alex? What is success for you guys? How do you define it? Well,
0: I think I think the club has a pretty well established, you know, we, as we said, the you know, uh, uh, Christian Culver as a sporting director, as general manager, two years ago. The club, the league has evolved a lot for the last two, three years. We see now masses coming to the league. There is more investment. There is more media. There is more attention from the league. So as I told you, we're a club very well orientated to good scouting, to good data, used as a lot of analytical department, and also youth development, right? That's, uh, that's who we are. We have our, our history, we have, you uh, know, uh, Chris Ondalowski, who is the, you know, the biggest, uh, you know, the high score in the league history. He's part of the club, he's still being part of the club. You know, he's responsible for all the, the specific individual work, IDP, with all the younger players, first team players, and also second team. You no know, Shea Salinas, who also being on the club, 10 plus years, he's still working for the club. So those two players, you know, they're part of the club history. They retire, but they still work, working in the club. So being able to show the players also the history that the club has it, it's part of the, you know, ownership, uh, business plan is part of everyone who runs the club. And we also feel part of this family. We you know we are very family oriented club. And that's, that's for me, very important, right? So when you come here, everyone knows each other. You know, there is a lot of respect between everyone, you know, from the academy through the first team, the communication is very open between Lucci, Dan, who is our second team coach. Um, Alex was also our first team coach last year when Mathias Almeida left left to, to Greece. You know, Alex was the interim coach for like eight, nine months, you know? So there is, uh, there is no, uh, ego right everyone try to help each other everyone tried to be together and for me that's a beauty and that's the most important thing inside the club
1: yeah and, and having spoke to other sort of members and the sporting directors that like we spoke to Zoran at Charlotte FC and Zora mentioned obviously being out in the MLS a, a lot of it's about winning it's about performing well but also it's about that entertainment value there for the fans as well just just commercially speaking talk to me about how, how you've seen the effects of Messi Mania and the MLS and Apple TV deal and how, how those commercial aspects effectively fit into your role perhaps if, if they do at all.
0: A lot, right? And of course, you know, being a Brazilian and I also, you become a reference to the Brazilian market. I'm a member of the Brazilian Sport and Direct Association as, 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 we, as we, you know, you know, so all the top clubs in Brazil, their Sport and Directs are affiliated, so being able to Tell them and show how the league works has been a flag that I raised it. And that had affected also the number of Brazilian players that have come to MLS. You know, Brazil today is the first after after Canada and, and USA, of course. Brazil has, I think, 40, 41 players in the league today. When I came, there were like 18, 16 players, six, seven years ago. Wow. So that has also helped, you know, the, the, the development of the, the Brazilian players, the knowledge of the league to the Brazilian market. You know who is the biggest market, you know, in the world for players, as we know, and became also the biggest market for MLS, and, and, and also of course Argentina now is also another amazing amazing country on, on players, players development. We have Colombia. You know, South America became the main market for the league, and Messi, Messi uh, speaks Spanish, so here, yeah, even though he's a world star. His entrance inside the spanish speak country is huge, you know, of course. And that's also going to help a lot of the growing of the league in those markets, right? And more players are going to want to come to the league, and that's also going to help on my side to recruit players and also sell the league in a good way so those players can also see MLS as an option, you know, for their development career. And what I tell is a lot of people ask about when Beckham came in 2007, and I do, you know, I'm also an instructor for the Brazilian Federation, and I, one of my speeds, I show by numbers that MLS has a lowest uh, average age average than most of the top five leagues. The average age for MLS is 25.5 years old, as an example. So I lower than Brazil, lower than England, lower lower than Spain, you know, France, and all the top five leagues. So that's also important to show the players that when you come to MLS, you're gonna be able to not only Play on a good league with good coaching, good scouting, good sporting directs. I mean, good, good environment overall, but also a league that's going to be able to provide you a, a nice structure, infrastructure to keep improving, evolving, developing yourself to make also the next jump if you want to either go back to go back to Europe, or if you want to go to Europe, or if you even want to go back to South America. So MLS today works on both ways.
1: My final question for you, Bruno, at the start, I asked you, what does culture mean to you? You said culture means everything. If you were to sum up the culture at San Jose Earthquakes in one word, what would that one word be and why?
0: I think the the, devotion, heritage, family, you know, and all those union, all those words are important, right? like when you were in a big war on a fight against, fighting against Golias on a certain way, doesn't matter how big you are if you're not united, right? And that's what I learned. You know, that those are the values that I learn in my house with my family, and that's the values that I see a lot inside the club, right? We're very, we are club, we are big club, but we also um, it seems that everybody's, everyone knows each other, right? And for me, that's the most important thing. A certain place, you go to certain places where. You have like 10, 15 people, not that many people, but there is no interactions, there is no, there is no relations, and everything's become so far away. So I think, I think the human relation, you know, as I take the heritage of the club, and also uh, for me, it's family. Family is a, is a word for me very strong and that uh, you know uh, summarize how do I see the club.
1: Uh, Bruno, thank you so much for your time and your insights into youth development, culture, effective decision-making, game models, and so much more. Thank you for your time.
0: My pleasure, Paul. Thank you.
1: Hey, it's Andy from Zone7. In the time it takes to read up this ad, our proprietary AI could have analysed your training and game data, informed you which of your players were at increased risk of injury, and suggested how your staff could reduce that risk by simulating optimal workload strategies for the week ahead. If you wanna find out more about how it does this, visit zone7.ai and click request a demo to start up a conversation. Now, back to the episode.